0: Over the past 22 years, what would you say have been your most memorable hunting and or fishing experience you've had on the show? I know it must be pretty tough to try and pinpoint something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I do get that question a lot. And I think it's the the stories that stick out to me a lot of times are the elk hunting stories here in Michigan. Small businesses are the backbone of the American economy and here in Michigan, but only 50% will make it five years in business. On Mitt and Money, host William Zank will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners with the tough questions that will help them succeed. How do I expand my business? What options do I have for retirement? How do I move forward? Having worked with small business owners throughout his entire career and with excellent attention to detail and strong analytical skills, William Zank of TriStar Trust will unearth answers to these questions and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com.
0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Mitt and Money. This podcast will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners find the answers to the tough questions that will help them succeed. This week, we're excited to have on Jimmy Gritzinger, who is the executive producer and host of Michigan Outdoors TV. Jimmy has been involved with the show for the last 22 years, with the show being on the air since the early 50s. Their unique show as all their shows are recorded in Michigan, and they're one of the only few outdoor sportsman channels that publishes over 52 episodes per year. Without further ado, welcome, Jimmy, to Mitt Money.
1: <laughs> hey, glad to be here. How are you today?
0: I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good. I think it's kind of
1: funny that I'm here to talk about the money
0: financial side of things. That's
1: probably not my strong suit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think there's lots of decisions going on every day with people's money, whether it's subliminal or something that you do intentional. And so on. I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. And so sure, glad to be here. Well, great. Let's get started. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What made you initially interested joining Michigan Outdoors in 1998? Well, kind of
1: my background a little bit. I went to Michigan State University and graduated with a degree in audio and video production. So I kind of wanted to do something along those lines, not really knowing what it might be. Graduated, grew up in Ludington, went back there for about a year while I was trying to find a job in video production and got hired by Spring Hill Camps, which is a large Christian camp in Everett, Michigan, I'm really a big player in the Christian camping world. Anyway, so they hired me to start a video production facility there at their main camp there. So I was there for about three years and I grew up hunting and fishing, but I never really thought I'd be able to put the hunting and fishing together with kind of my love of audio video type stuff. And then it's just funny how things work out. My elementary school gym teacher was the head guy for Ducks Unlimited at that time back in 1998. And he was doing a show with Michigan Out of Doors and the host of Michigan Out of Doors at that time, Bob Garner had just retired. And so they were looking for a new person to come onto the team, kind of the low man on the totem pole. So they're sitting there in a duck blind and my elementary school gym teacher says, well, hey, I know this kid who grew up hunting and fishing and he graduated from Michigan State with a video production degree. And I said, well, have him get all of us. So that guy called my dad and said, hey, tell Jimmy Michigan Outdoors is looking for somebody. And dad calls me and says, hey, Michigan Outdoors is looking for somebody. So I called them. And at the time I was working on the same editing software and used the same cameras and everything. And so I was able to just slide right in. And so that's kind of how that got started. But, but yeah, growing up doing a lot of A lot of hunting, some fishing. When I grew up in Ludington, at that time, really the only fishing that we did was a lot of big lake fishing. But the salmon had kind of died off, and so we didn't do a ton of fishing at that point in time. But a lot of hunting. So yeah, so I joined the team back in 1998, and then worked for about ten years or so. And the show at that time was owned by the Michigan United Conservation Clubs, and then in the 2008, 2009, when the economy was really kind of in a rough spot, they decided to sell the TV show. And so I bought the television show from them at that point in time, which was a big venture on my part, but that worked out great. It was a great decision. And so then I've owned the show since the beginning of 2009. And so it's been, uh, and it's funny as you talk about businesses and whatnot, it was the guy that sold me the show, who was a very good businessman at the time. He said, if you can make it through year one and year two, you should be all right. And then he was right. And so we kind of limped along those first few years and was able to hire People back kind of part time and then back to full time. And so it's been quite an interesting journey along the way. But yeah, so that's kind of how it got started.
0: So, one thing I have to ask for all the hunting enthusiasts or fishing enthusiasts that may watch the show that may kind of envy the job that you have (laughs) with all the fun that you have on TV. Did you have to send in an application or did you send in like a video of what a potential shoot could look like? What did that all entail?
1: So, what they did is they asked me for some work that I had done. So, anything that I had shot with a camera, anything that I had edited. And so, my role at that point in time with Spring Hill was basically very similar to what I do now. I would tape for three or four days, edit for two or three days, turn around, do the same thing again. So I would do highlight videos of a week of camp or a weekend uh, teen retreat or whatever it might be. So that's kind of, yeah, it was a great training ground for me. And we just kind of keep turning it over. And so I was able to just give them several things that I had shot and edited all together. And so that kind of gave them an idea of what I
0: could do. And yeah, that's how it worked out. That's wonderful. And so over the course of 22 years, what has your process been like for creating new content that's appealing to a growing number of audience members as you start to expand out from just the state of Michigan to having the show also watched in parts of Canada, Indiana, Wisconsin?
1: Yeah. The, how we end up getting a lot of our stories is we're very driven by what is going on in the outdoor world. You know, I kind of know sort of our plan for the next year when the year starts. So I kind of know when the season's are. So right now, typically, we're doing a lot of ice fishing, a lot of rabbit hunting, or looking for anything that's indoors, maybe taxidermy story or a gunsmith story, or so yeah, we're just we're very driven by what is happening in the outdoor world. So we know this is going to lead into spring starts, there's different fishing opportunities that happen in the spring, and then you got turkey season, and then you get into the heart of summer, it's a lot of big lake fishing, fishing all over the state of Michigan, we have so many different places to go. I think a reason that it has worked for so long with Michigan Out Outdoors is it's not you're not tagging along with Jimmy or Jenny or who for every single episode, which a lot of outdoor shows do, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think what works for us, I can do a hundred different bluegill fishing stories and they're all going to be a little different because we're with whoever it might be that we're tagging along with. So I kind of see it as my role to kind of tell their story. Like maybe they have a unique technique or something that they're using, but how did they get into hunting and fishing? Why do they fish on this Lake and how long have they been doing it here? And so you can get a lot of variety Ice fishing stories, just by the body of water, who you're with, and just kind of telling their stories. So, and we have a lot of people that contact the show. So I'll get in a week anywhere from two to ten to fifteen people that will email in saying, "Hey, would you like to come tag along on whatever it might be?" And so then we kind of talk with them and feel them out, see if they kind of know a little bit about what they're talking about. And sometimes it's a roll of the dice. No matter what, I mean, you can have the greatest deer hunting spot and then the night before a bunch of coyotes come through and all the deer go. gone so that can happen but then you have some guys are like you know every, about every six months or so we see this deer in this corner of this field and and then you got some guys are like well every day at three thirty, sometimes three they're coming through this stretch of the stuff and we got you know yeah you just kind of wade through some of that but so we get a lot of stories from people and then if there's a goose season that's coming up that we haven't had anybody call us for we'll get a hold of some of our waterfowl people and say hey you got anything going could we take along? and so that's kind of how we get our stories
0: well, that's wonderful. And you bring up a good point about ice fishing. And so with this winter and you know, some winters in the past that you know, may be a little more abnormally warm, sometimes bodies of water may not freeze over and may not have the best conditions out there. So I saw an article from a week or two ago that people were still fishing via boat out in the Saginaw Bay. And so when those types of things happen, how's your show adapted to that? Do you just go to other locations or maybe kind of do more of a, a unique show where you would go and do that?
1: Yeah, so we we just kind of roll with what's happening. So to your point, like Saginaw Bay, at least to my knowledge right now, is not frozen over at all. And so guys are out there on boats, and so we'll just adapt and go with people. And we're usually with someone else kind of telling their story. But so, yeah, we would just go out with them in a boat, or I know Lake Erie is still open. And so, we would, yeah, we just tag along with them. But then when the ice fishing first started here, Southern Michigan and Mid-Michigan that did not have safe ice, and we do in spots now – but so I was calling around to people in northern Michigan saying, hey, how much ice do you have? Is anybody going? And so shortly just aired last night, did some perch fishing with the guy that I had met. He had contacted us saying, hey, we're catching some pretty good perch up here on Six Mile Lake, which is right on the edge of Charlevoix County and Antrim County. And so it worked out good. I was looking for an ice fishing story and they had safe ice. So this time of year and as we transition out of winter, trying to figure out where is safe ice is, where isn't. And, and if you're ever not sure, you know, just call a local bait shop in that area and they'll usually give you a pretty good, an idea of what, where it's safe. And there's so many online forums and whatnot. You can find out a lot of information that way now too.
0: That's a really good point. Talking just a little bit more on the topic of ice fishing. When you see these lakes have the formation of ice later in the season, do you see that affecting that local fishery at all? Well,
1: you know, I don't know how much it affects the actual fishery, but ice is just such a, depending on how, you know, if you have clear, good, what they would call blue ice or real clear ice, that's really pretty sturdy and guys can get out there pretty easily But when you get a lot of snow, which we haven't had this year, when you get that snow that, let's say you get four to six inches on a lake, and then that starts to melt, and then that freezes, and then you get some rain on top of that, it just, the ice conditions really, I think, really affect the fishing more than anything else. As far as the actual fishery, I don't think we put much of a dent in really any of the lakes that we're fishing in, There's just unless you're talking little private ponds and that kind of stuff, but most of the public lakes are pretty good size. And it is interesting. We have a bayou near, I live in Grand Haven, Michigan, and there's very few people that fish this bayou when it's soft water. But then when, as soon as it ices up, it's a great bluegill fishing lake, but nobody really fishes it for bluegill much when it's soft water. So it's like, well, how does that work? You know? And it's like, but that's just how it is. And that's for whatever reason, those fish are more active when they get a lid on top of them. So for whatever reason.
0: So what do you think is behind the large increase in hunting and in fishing during this past year? It seems like there's such a large influx of people, which is good, which is really good, but just curious to see what your thoughts are and the big rise behind that.
1: You know, I think everybody is trying to figure out exactly what happened and why it happened and trying to make sure that maybe it can continue to happen. I mean, obviously it's all, from what we believe, pretty much all COVID related. And, and I was just looking at some numbers today, but yeah, the fishing licenses are up about 10%. Hunting licenses are up about 13%. And I thought the one that was really interesting that new anglers, so people that haven't bought a fishing license in five years are up 42%. And for deer hunting licenses, it's a 92% rise in people from that haven't bought a license in the last five years. So I think it's coupled with you, know, you a lot of people don't want to travel very far. They can't go out to dinner. They're not traveling out of state. or it, So you know the spring break money is there. So I think a lot of people, and then the stimulus money, there's a lot of people with several thousand dollars in their pocket that they didn't normally have. And so that is turning to gun purchases and fishing licenses and kayaks and campers and I mean what any outdoor passion that you pick it's really they're having a booming year and so I think you take all those COVID factors and put them in there it'll be really interesting to see once we kind of ease out of this whenever that is like this next fall like what the hunting license number sales will be for this next fall and hopefully as people get back out there and experience fishing again or camping again kayaking and hunting our hope for those of us in the outdoor world is they're like oh man I really missed this and I need to be more avid at this and continue on in that, in those pursuits. So yeah. And especially with youth numbers are way up right now. And it's just a great family activity. You know, stuff that we've been preaching on the television show for years, but we're kind of preaching to the choir because people that watch our show typically enjoy the outdoors. And I always hope that our TV show can hit the person that kind of likes to hunt and fish, but doesn't get a chance to do it very often. Used to do it more, but they like to watch it. But then I'm, you know, I'm hoping that they say, you know what, you know, we could drive up to Charlevoix. We could go hit that lake and let's go do that this next weekend and try to encourage people to get out there and use, you know, the natural resources here in the state of Michigan a little bit more. And hopefully this COVID scare will uh, encourage people to spend more time with family and friends in the outdoors.
0: Well, perfect. So another question for you too. What's a good first baby step that someone who maybe hasn't ever fished or had the opportunity to hunt before, what's a good first step they could take to try and enjoy more what Michigan has to offer?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And there's a couple different ways to answer it. The first thing that I would encourage people to do is try to find a friend that is involved in hunting and fishing. The last thing you want to do is say, okay, I want to start deer hunting. Now I need to go buy a $1,000 rifle and a $500 tree stand and get all the greatest, latest clothes and all that kind of stuff. And Nothing wrong with that. And that's, But I think you can find a friend, whether that's through work or church or buddies or whatever it might be, that, that is a fairly avid outdoorsman and just say, hey, could I tag you along sometime just to kind of see what this is all about? And for the most part, sportsmen are really – the more the merrier it's really fun to have other people come along so they can kind of guide you through like yeah you don't need to buy a $2,500 crossbow let's maybe start with a $400 crossbow if if, if deer hunting is going to be your thing I usually try to encourage people especially when they're getting kids involved to do something where there's a high likelihood of success I'm going to go sit and deer hunt in the middle of November that's going to be my first thing and I'm freezing and I'm out there for three hours and I see one deer well probably not going to be like wow that was the greatest thing ever But if you're going to go in October and maybe you sit with your buddy and it's warm and the fall colors and that's a whole different experience, whether or not you see deer or get a deer. But I encourage people like a pheasant preserve is a great way to kind of introduce people to hunting and fishing because it's a controlled environment. There's not a lot of special gear that you need. If it's a fishing thing, you know, bobber and a worm for bluegill, where there's a high likelihood of success, where you don't have to be out there for several hours at a time, something where you're not having to worry about how you smell and all that, you know, for deer hunting, that kind of so turkey hunting is a great way to introduce people because you can do it as a group. Waterfall hunting is a ton of fun and you can tag along with guys that have all the gear. And so if there's somebody out there saying, I'd like to get into hunting, I'd find a buddy. And if you don't have anybody in your world or your, there's sportsmen's clubs all over the state of Michigan and there's National Wild Turkey Federation, Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited, all these different groups have a lot of mentor programs where they're eager and anxious to take people out. So it might take a little bit of research. On your end to figure out what's the best avenue for you, but there's groups all over the place that would love to
0: introduce people to the outdoors. Well, it's great to hear. So, does being in the media business change your thoughts for saving for certain life goals?
1: Hmm, saving for life goals. I don't know if being in the outdoor world. I think I think that's just something that I didn't know much about uh, the business side of things when I took over Michigan Outdoors. I had really no idea what even the term cash flow even meant. I'm like, well. I'm going to have money and I need to spend money and it's all going to work out just fine. So, I, you know, it was, a, it was a crash course for me in just business 101 when I took over. You know, I had a communications degree. I mean, I knew how to balance a checkbook. That's about it. I think owning a business, it's tricky because you're trying to, you have to have enough money to pay the bills so that you can then worry about producing a television show. So I can have the best stuff in the world, but if I don't have the money to pay the people or to the travel and everything else, then it's kind of like, a lot of that money and financial stuff has to, that's such a high priority so that you can then worry about telling a good story and traveling to Charlevoix and this and that and the other thing. And so it's been a big learning curve for me as far as how has it impact my, you know, I don't put a lot of money into savings each year. I try to do some, but as a business owner, those first few years were pretty tight and doing what we do, doing an outdoor television show on public television. Now that's not the way to put a ton of money in the bank, but it is a lot of fun and very enjoyable and, I feel really blessed to have the job that I do and, and the money so far, you know, knock on wood is, you know, we've had some years that are up and some years that are down, but we have a lot of partners that partner with us that are advertisers, underwriters on a television show. And I think a lot of it just comes down to relationships for us as far as in the sales thing. I'm not a great salesman, but I have a lot of good relationships with people. And so I think you're, a lot of times you're, you know, sometimes I have to say, well, this is how many eyeballs watch the television show and here's how many people watch our social media. And, and that matters for sure. But for some people who either grew up watching the show or they're familiar with it, they kind of know the demographics and they're, they're happy to be a part of it. Where other, if I'm dealing with a national advertiser, they're like, well, what? you're just a regional television show. How, there's no way you have that many numbers. And it's like, well, we do not because I've recreated the wheel, but the show has been on the air since 1950. And so everyone in Michigan that grew up hunting and fishing at some point or another has watched that show and hopefully have enjoyed it and keep coming back. And so we have good numbers. But I think at the end of the day, as a salesman, it's about the relationships you have
0: with those customers. So would you say, so if someone were listening to this right now, would you say that's one of the biggest takeaways that you'd say has helped you so far?
1: I think, yeah, creating a business like this, there are so many people that want to do what we're doing. I mean, there are so many online shows and so many shows on the Sportsman channel, the Outdoor channel, the Pursuit channel, the World Fishing Network. I mean, everybody wants to hunt and fish for a living. People say, oh, you're so lucky you just get to hunt and fish all the time. It's like, well, I'm around hunting and fishing all the time, but I'm carrying a camera most of the time. So 70% of my job is video production. 30% is outdoor-related stuff. As I encourage people, as they like, how do I get a television show? How do, it's like, well, you got to spend a lot of time in the woods, and you have to know your camera backwards and forwards, and you have to know how to edit and tell a story and put it all together. And then if it's something worth that somebody actually wants to watch, then if you have an online show, it's like you got to have people to help. I mean, most of those guys are doing it for fun on the side after they have their eight-hour, nine-hour-a-day job. Well, that's really hard to do. And so they try it for six months or a year and they're just like, well, this is ridiculous. I'm not making any money. I'm losing money. I can't afford the cameras and the laptops and the this and the that. So, But if you can have people that partner with you and that will help fund some of that stuff, yeah, that's huge. If, you know, if you're out there trying to start an outdoor video production facility, that it's tough, but it's tough because a lot of people want to do it.
0: Oh, sure. I can believe it. And so that kind of tails into one of the many ways that people try and at least start you know, maybe if it's an idea that they want to eventually try and start maybe a television show or a series to try and get a following on social media. And so prior to the show and for a long time before, I've been a long time supporter of your guys' Instagram page. I think it's wonderful, all different stuff you guys post. What was your thoughts uh, behind creating the page and have you noticed from the benefit standpoint? From the social media side of things?
1: Yeah, that has been huge over the last, gosh, I mean, five years, 10 years, whatever it's been, that it's been a real driving influence. A lot, of, a lot of our advertisers now, and I think part of the reason that people are really attracted to it from the advertising side of it is because it's super measurable. They know exactly how many eyeballs are seeing it or clicking on it or whatever it might be. Where with TV numbers, those numbers do exist for sure, but you have to go through Nielsen ratings. It's quite a process. So if, I'm, if I own a tractor company and I'm thinking about sponsoring Michigan Outdoors television, I can go right on my Facebook and YouTube and, you know, and see exactly how many numbers they have. If they're looking at Michigan outdoors Safe versus another advertising outlet, or you know, maybe they want to buy time on WIC TV, buy right, a commercial on that. So they can look exactly and see how many numbers there, how many numbers here. And so the social media has been really great for advertisers because it's hard numbers and they can get them easily. And then it's, and they can track the interaction between people as well. And so I think when we first started, like our Facebook page, now we're up to over 140,000 people on there that's a good number, you know, especially for a regional television show. And I, I'm not sure where we're at Instagram wise, but it's well over 20,000, 25,000, something like that. So it's been a great way for us to show those numbers to advertisers, but it's also a great way for us to interact with viewers, which is something that we really couldn't do before social media in a, any kind of real-time way. So there's several times where we'll be like, who's got good ice? Who's got good, where's the rut starting? You know, who's got whatever it might be. It's a great way for us to get people on the show to interact. And so I think when we first started, we didn't, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody knew how, what social media was going to be or how big it was going to be when we all got into this, but it's been a great tool for us. And, and we have uh, advertisers that strictly want to buy time on social media. They want ads, they want stories, they want stuff. It's totally separate from the television show. So yeah, it's been a good thing for us.
0: Well, it's great to hear. So over the past 22 years, what would you say have been your most memorable hunting and or fishing experience you've had on the show? I know it must be pretty tough to try and pinpoint something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I do get that question a lot. And I think it's the, the stories that stick out to me a lot of times are the elk hunting stories here in Michigan. So I would say for me, the stories that really kind of stick out that are really fun for me to do are the elk hunting stories here in Michigan, because it's such a unique animal and it's such a unique hunt because it's about 40 some thousand people put in for an elk tag and only a hundred or 200, depending on the season, get an elk tag. And so you're with a bunch of people that are just thrilled beyond belief to be there they are super excited about why they're there and it's in a cool part of the state the northeast part of the lower peninsula so those ones really stick out to me those are kind of special hunts because it's just such a unique situation other ones to me i really love the islands here in the, in the state of michigan so i'm a big sucker for anything on beaver island i've done deer hunts and turkey hunts and lots of fishing opportunities over there drummond island i love and done a lot of fishing and some hunting over there so those are the ones that kind of stick out that the really unique special locations in the state of Michigan for me are really cool. And there's so many, I mean, that's just, when I mean, you get to the upper peninsula from the West end to the East end and everywhere in between, it's just so many cool little nooks and crannies. And so I think the stories that stick out to me over the years are the really unique ones. And not that a bluegill fishing at a guy's private pond is not a bad thing. And it's just the ones that end those unique locations really stick out to me.
0: Nice. Outside of hunting and fishing, what else do you enjoy doing in your free time?
1: hunting and fishing does take up a lot of my time for work. And it is a big hobby of mine that I do without cameras around as much as I can, but I really enjoy, uh, like in the summertime, golfing is a big thing for me. I love to do that. I love to travel around the state of Michigan. Camping is a big thing for me and my kids. And so, yeah, and i my church is really important to me. So I play on the worship team there and that's super fun. And I'm a drummer. So that may explain some of the, <laughs> some of the character issues I have. Yeah. So I would say there's still outdoor related, a lot of golfing and camping and canoeing and kayaking, that kind of stuff are some
0: of my hobbies. Yeah. So switching over a little more music here, do you have a favorite drummer? (laughs) Any Foo Fighters, David Grohl at all?
1: I do know that name and I'm just a pretty average drummer. I really enjoy it. But no, I don't have any drummers that come to mind that are, they all have to do so many crazy things that I'm just like, how are they doing that? You know, kind of a thing. But yeah, I really love playing and that's been a good thing.
0: What does money mean to you?
1: What does money mean to me? Well, I think money is a really good short-term motivator. I think it's a hard one to really, you know, I have a lot of friends that are in jobs that they don't really like, but they are accustomed to a certain lifestyle. So they can't really make a change because of the money. So it's a tricky thing. Obviously it's an important thing. And I grew up with a dad that was very strict with money and he made pretty good money. He was a state farm agent. So we had money, but he just never wanted to spend money. So I grew up whether you call that Dutch or cheap or whatever you want to call that, that was my upbringing was like, you don't spend money on stuff that you don't need to. And I think that kind of caused me to flip. Once I had a little bit of money, I, the last thing he ever wanted to do was go out for dinner. Well, the only thing I really want to do is go out for dinner. So I spend a lot of money on stuff like that. And so, I mean, I think I learned some of the principles of being wise with it, but definitely not to spend it until it's gone kind of a person. But I think I do treat myself to some of the stuff like going out to dinner and a lot of travel and that kind of stuff. So the stuff that I do for work is really meaningful and but then it gives you the opportunity to do other stuff as well so yeah, I guess I'd say it's a, it's a good short term motivator, but it's not a great long term motivator
0: that's wonderful, and so for my last question. If people want to get more in contact with you or learn more about the show, now we've mentioned Instagram on this podcast and also YouTube. Do you mind plugging some information if you don't mind for yourself? Sure, yeah. If you ever
1: have a question about the television show or you have an idea that you think would be a good one, whether it's you or someone that you know that might make a good story for Michigan Out our website is pretty simple. You can either Google it or it's just com. And so if you just Google Michigan Out Television, you'll find us and we have our emails on there. And yeah, Facebook, we're on there. Instagram and YouTube as well. So if you're ever on YouTube, you can subscribe to our channel there and get an email every time we post something new. Those are the good ways to get a hold of us and whether you have a question or somebody that you know that would make a good story, we're always looking for, when we do 52 shows a year, we're, some weeks we have tons of stuff and other weeks we're really scrambling to try to fill the airtime. So we're always looking for good stories and new people and so that's a good way to kind of reach out to us.
0: Well, thank you, Jimmy. Thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Mitt Money. If you haven't already, please rate and review our podcast. Additionally, please subscribe so you don't miss when our new episodes drop. Thanks again, Jimmy. Thank you. You've been
1: listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com.